welcome back to Office Chats, a podcast presented by Madam Blue. I'm your host, Valeria, and today's guest is Drew Rue, the co-founder and CEO of Hero Cosmetics. Hero Cosmetics launched in 2017 with one product, the Mighty Patch, a hydrocolloid pimple patch that visibly flattens and minimizes pimples overnight. Today, Hero Cosmetics sells a box of Mighty Patch every three seconds, and it's been the number one product in the skincare and acne categories on Amazon for several quarters. Since I last spoke to you on the podcast back in 2020, Hero Cosmetics has expanded with over 30 products launched and generated $100 million in revenue in five years. Most recently, Hero Cosmetics was acquired by Church & Dwight for $630 million. In this episode, Jude chats about Hero Cosmetics' successful omni-channel distribution strategy, their product innovation process, the biggest takeaways from Hero's recent acquisition by Church & Dwight, plus Jude's top tips for founders and entrepreneurs. Let's get into the show. Ju, welcome back to the podcast. I'd love for you to introduce yourself to listeners who may have missed our first episode together and are unfamiliar with yourself and your brand. Sure. Well, I really appreciate you having me back. I can't remember the last time we talked, but I think it was a long time and we were a totally different company, but I'm Ju. I'm co-founder and CEO of Hero Cosmetics. We are a functional skin solutions brand. We're really focused on acne and we're best known for our Mighty Patch acne patches. We started in 2017 in September, started selling on Amazon. Over the past five years, really became an omni-channel brand. We're now the number one acne patch brand, number two acne care brand in the market. And we just got acquired in October by Church and White. Congrats on that, by the way. And we'll definitely get into all of that growth. A lot has changed since the last time we spoke. What hasn't changed, though, is still I'm still a huge fan of the Mighty Patch. I'm actually wearing one right now. But for those who aren't familiar with how that specific product came to be, because that was like your first launch, can you share a little bit about the steps you took to develop and launch that first product? I'm someone that grew up always breaking out, unfortunately, and I grew up using all the products that we had access to. So, you know, it was really the white creams and the pink creams, three-step solutions and things like that. But none of it really worked because it was actually too harsh for my skin. Back in 2012, I was living in South Korea, still breaking out. And in Korea, I noticed that a lot of people were wearing these acne patches, or I didn't know that they were for acne, but I saw them wearing these patches. Someone told me that they were for acne. So I went to pharmacy, tried some for myself, and I was just amazed at how well it worked. That like really inspired the idea for what is now Mindy Patch, because I started wondering, why am I learning about this product now? It needs to be available to more people. It should be more available in the U.S. And really, I mean, one of the first things that I did was I I wanted to find a supplier, uh, someone who I could co-create the best in class sort of hydrocolloid acne patch out there. And in Korea, um, it's great because by law, all, you know, cosmetics from uh, product manufacturers, you're supposed to share the name of the manufacturer on the actual product. And so what I did was I just went to pharmacy. I bought a bunch of hydrocolloid acne patches. I took them home. I turned over the box to see and listed all the names of the suppliers um, of these products. And then just started cold calling and contacting them to see if any of them would be willing to work with me to help me develop what is now Mighty Patch. 
And you kind of had an unconventional product launch by doing Amazon first. So launching the Mighty Patch on Amazon and then retail and then direct to consumer last. Can you share a little bit like what the results of that process was and whether you'd recommend it to other startups? It's funny because we did things totally differently. Back then we started on Amazon and that was when no one did that. Everyone started on DTC because that was the age of like Glossier and Away and things like that, Albers or whatnot. Everyone started on DTC. Yeah, our playbook was totally different. We started on Amazon. We had a very clear reason why we went into retail. Then we went on DTC. Would I recommend that? What I tell people is that you know, I think there, there's a lot of talk about playbooks. There was like the Glossier playbook, you know, there's this playbook and now there's a hero playbook, which is what I just talked about. And what I always tell people and entrepreneurs is you should create your own playbook for your own company and brand because every brand and every product is so different. And so I remember I was recently just messaging with a friend and he was telling me about his friend who was starting more of a luxury, I think skincare brand. And he said, oh, I told my friend to start selling on Amazon because that's what Hero did and it worked so well for you. I responded and I said, oh, actually, I think for his brand, he should not start on Amazon because his brand was much more luxury and premium and our brand, Hero, is much more mass, mastige, um, very problem solution. And so I don't think there's always one playbook that works for everybody. Uh, it really depends on what you're trying to build, who you're trying to talk to, the type of product that you have. As long as you put your consumer at the heart of everything, you can't go wrong. That's a really good point because no two brands are exactly alike and the same goes for their consumers' needs. When did you make Hero Cosmetics your full-time job and where were you in your personal and professional life when that happened? I had a full-time job when I launched Hero. We started the company in New York. I had this full-time job. We launched Hero kind of as a side hustle. We saw that it was taking off. And so I started working on it full-time when A, I knew I could pay myself. And it wasn't a lot. I didn't pay myself a lot in the beginning. But uh, as soon as I was able to pay myself something, that was a big factor. And then also just personally, I was moving to Paris because my husband was starting a company in France. And so we decided to try things out here. So for me, it was sort of pers like personal. I needed to move. And so I knew, you know, eventually I was going to quit this full-time job and move to Paris. And then also me being able to pay myself from like a salary from Hero Cosmetics was also an important factor. Like if I wasn't able to pay myself, but still had to move, I probably would have quit that full-time job, but I probably would have found something else on the side to make sure that I had income. So that was a little bit of how mm -hmm. I started working on it full-time. Since we last spoke, Hero Cosmetics has grown to launch over 30 skincare products. And I know that one of your many roles at the company is leading product development. So can you share what goes into creating new Hero Cosmetics products and any memorable moments you've had during those times? I mean, in the beginning, there was like a product development team of one that was me. And <laughs> a lot of it was really based on intuition and really just talking directly to people uh, like Rescue Bomb actually was created because I was asking people what they use for um, acne care. And a lot of people told me they use Neosporin. That really showed me that they wanted some kind of restoring healing ointment treatment that really was an inspiration for Rescue Bomb. And the lightning one also just came from like my per own personal experience where, you know, after I get a pimple, 
I always have a dark spot that lasts for months. And I, there was nothing really out there that was very targeted for that dark spot. And I thought that we could do something. And that's how we created Lightning One. So in the beginning, it was really about intuition. Now that we're much more grown up, we just go through more of a process. We have a bigger team. We do a lot of research. We validate the research to make sure that um, what we're launching is really going to resonate with the, our consumer. But also we need to make sure that it's incremental because we have other SKUs that we don't necessarily want to cannibalize. So we still turn out really amazing products and you know, we make sure that the products are really differentiated, that they have a magic moment, that they're effective on acne, but also gentle on skin. And um, that's been a lot of the key to, keys to our success. Mm-hmm. I really love the Mighty Patch for the nose and the entire face. And I read that you actually came up with the concept for those products many years before actually going through with developing and then launching them. Can you tell me more about how those concepts came to be? That really goes to listening to our consumers. I do it less now just because I don't have as much time, but um, I would read every comment on Instagram or social media. I would read every review. People would be like, oh my gosh, this Mighty Patch product, it's so amazing. And back then we only had like the circles. And they would tell us like, oh, I need something bigger because I have like bigger breakout areas or I break out all over my face and my chin or my forehead. And so, or they would say things like, oh, this product is so amazing. I need something for my entire face. Um, so again, it's kind of a lesson of really learning or listening to your consumers because they will tell you what they want, what they're looking for. So a lot of our greatest hits actually come from literally like their <laughs> you know, social media comments and reviews and people telling us what they want um, and us being able to pivot really quickly and, and move on some of these ideas. Yeah, that's so cool because they can feel like they're kind of part of the brand too. Totally. They're kind of co-creating with us in a Mm -hmm. way or like their ideas are being heard. Exactly. As your product portfolio and consumer base have grown over the years, did you experience any supply chain challenges or pivots that your company had to adapt to or overcome? 2020 was a year of supply chain complexity. And I mean, our team, I think we managed it really well. A lot of what we did was we actually held on to more months of inventory which is fine, but the downside is it eats up a lot of cash. So we had a lot of cash tied up in inventory, but we needed that inventory because the lead times were becoming longer and longer. Uh, Also, we were a fast growing company and the worst thing for us was to have out of stocks. We did not want to be out of stock anywhere. And so to make sure that we had the inventory to be able to supply and uh, furnish our growth at retail and on DVC and basically every channel, we had to make sure that we had the goods. So, so there was a lot of thought, I think, around making sure that we had enough product on our hands at all times. So our strategy was really to have more months of, months of product on hand. When we last spoke, you mentioned that you had 14 employees at the time. I'm curious about what your team looks like today and the biggest lessons you've learned about managing company growth and culture. So remind me, when was that podcast? What year did we it was 2020 because it was during the pandemic and you actually mentioned things oh, about it? like what was going on in Paris and how you needed like a little card to go out in the street. To get out. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're 65 now. So yeah. yeah, I remember, I think 2020 probably went from like, yeah, like 12 to 30 people or something mm-hmm. like that. We like literally doubled the company in that year, continued to hire a lot last year. And then this year we're now 65 and 
we have a much bigger team. I mean, they're amazing. I'm a lot less in the details. I still love innovation, so I'm still really involved with innovation. We've added a lot more structure, uh, which is great. So the past year or two, we, we have been hiring more experienced people who come from bigger companies who know how to implement process and more structure because that is something that a growing company needs. You can be a little scrappier, I think, when you're a smaller company with innovation, but now we have a, a very tight process and structure with how we put out our new products. I think it's a big part of growing up. It's, you know, putting in those checks and balances because they are very important. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of how your role has changed, I'm curious if you could share like some of the biggest challenges of being a CEO and, and some of the valuable leadership lessons you've learned along the way. Yeah, one thing is you do have to be careful about, I think, how you act, what you say, because, you know, people do, they might read into like your tone or like the words or your behavior. Like we've seen, you know, some of these girl boss takedowns or we've seen people get canceled or whatnot. And I think some of it is, I think when you're a leader, there is an expectation that you should behave or act a certain way the line between I think private life and public life can be blurred. So that can be difficult because, you know, if you're someone who has like no filter and you would just want to say whatever comes to your mind and you don't really care, um, that can be harder because, you know, you have a whole team that does look up to you and they do watch what you say and like they watch what you do. And leadership lessons, you know, a lot of it is hiring people and really getting out of getting out of their way and really trusting them. I think that's something that our team really likes um, about the leaders at the company is that we really trust people to do their job. I don't think anyone really at the company is a micromanager. So really just giving them guidance and advice and, you know, maybe putting them in the right direction and then letting them really figure out how to get there. That's something that um, I think people really like. Focusing on culture is really important as a leader because bad culture, it seeps throughout the entire organization. So if you really focus on building a positive environment, those are really important aspects too. Great advice. Well, Hero Cosmetics is available in several retailers like Ulta, Target, and many more. What has your retail distribution strategy been like and how do you leverage your online sales for success in retail? I personally really strongly believe in an omni-channel strategy because 80% of purchases still happen in a store. You know, when you're omni-channel, it means you're selling online and offline. And for us, our, you know, distribution footprint has gotten more complex because now we're on Amazon, but we're also on D2C and then we're at uh, Target and we're at Ulta and we keep adding retailers. So a big thing that we focus on is giving every channel something special. For example, with DDC, we always launch our innovation on DDC first. It gives it, it its moment. A lot of our super fans shop on our DDC site, so it gives them something, a kind of like early access to products. It also gives us a lot of insights. And then usually what happens is then it rolls out at Target not too long after. So then Target has its moment to really have that, that skew. And then we'll roll it out to Ulta and Amazon at a later time. Having a strategy like that where you're really prioritizing each channel and giving, giving each channel its moment with something, whether it's like a new product launch or, I don't know, a promotion or something, I think is a really key aspect of managing uh, the different channels that you have. Mm -hmm. It's been really fascinating to watch your 
space in retail grow over the years. Like every time I go to Target, I feel like the hero shelf is just bigger and there's more there. Yeah. So sure that's, uh-huh. that's been rewarding for you too, to see for sure. hard work pay off. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned Hero's recent acquisition by Church and Dwight, and I actually saw your tweet about mergers and acquisitions not being for the faint of heart. So I wanted to know more about what that process was like for you and your biggest takeaways from that time. Yeah, I mean, selling a company is really, really hard. You know, I talked to a lot of founders who have exited and everyone has battle scars. It's... um it's really, yeah, I mean, what can I say? It takes a lot of time. It's a lot of work. Um, there are, you know, literally like tens of thousands of questions that get asked in due diligence. Right now, the macro environment is very, very difficult. Again, it's really all about team. It makes it much better. So having a really good banker, having really good lawyers, making sure you have a leadership team who can help shoulder a lot of the burden across finance and ops and innovation and marketing and sales, et cetera. You think your company is the best, like, you know, this is your baby. So you think it's the best, but you really do have to convince and prove other people or prove to other people that it is a good story that, you know, the company is going to be around for a really long time. And it's more often the case that everyone's going to be a doubter or criticize or critique. And so it can be, yeah, it can definitely wear on you. Regarding the time, it's a lot of meetings. It's a lot of prep. It's a lot of practice um, management presentations that take like three hours each. And you have like 10 of them over two weeks, for example. And then you have dinners on top of that because you really do want to spend the time to get to know potential buyers out there. It's a lot of drama because like anything can happen at any time and people drop out because I don't know, they're no longer interested or whatnot. You pour so much, so much time and energy into building a company and sometimes it's like tied to your identity. So you start questioning like, well, if I sell this company and I walk away, like what am I going to do with my time? It's just a hard process, but it's also, I think, very emotional and Mm -hmm. you ask a lot of like internal questions. What are the biggest changes post-acquisition and what's staying the same? Things are mostly the same. Like this, the team is still intact. We're still crushing it. You know, we still have the same culture, you know, like more people are now involved with the company mm-hmm. and we, you know, we kind of like roll up or report up to different people and they ask their questions and things like that. But largely I think more is the same than is different, but it is funny because I do think integration is like a four letter word. and a lot of people get really freaked out and scared by uh, integration. Normally it's associated with people losing their jobs and like culture changing and big companies ruining smaller companies. But really in our case, like, you know, we partnered with Church and White because we wanted to accelerate our growth and that's what we're all focused on. So I would say more things are similar than are different. Awesome. Well, I'm sure that's been an amazing transition for your team as well. Oh yeah, for sure. I'm sure that part of being a successful business owner is always striving for more, but how do you avoid comparison as an entrepreneur and why do you believe doing so is important? I think the comparison game is very dangerous. If I were to tell my younger self something, I would say, don't compare yourself to other people. Every business is different. Every business goes through its own story and journey. Our story is really unique because in five years, we started from scratch, bootstrapped early on, hit $100 million, got acquired. 
there's another company that I know where it took them almost 10 years to get to $10 million. And then in two years, they basically 10X'd and then exited. So it just goes to show you that every story is unique and every journey is different. So you should just be focused on what you're trying to accomplish and what you're trying to build. Very true. Shifting gears a bit, Hero has a great social media community and a program called Skin Squad. Can you tell me about the role your community plays in growing brand awareness and gaining customer feedback? We have a lot of advocates. And so Skin Squad is a community where people, really anyone can join. And it's sort of, um, we kind of try to gamify it, I guess. Or in that, and what I mean by that is try to make it fun. So when you sign up, you get, you know, this this many points or when you share a tweet you might get this many points and um you you accumulate those points and you're able to redeem them for products or uh, swag and things like that and so you know one big thing that we've really focused on is um is community and engagement like we prioritize engagement over let's say follower size because i do see brands out there that you know they might have two hundred thousand followers but when i look at the engagement on their posts and the likes it's like 10 likes, you know, out of 200,000 followers. And so that's where, you know, like their audience really isn't engaged. So for us, I mean, you know, I think we have like three times the engagement rate as some of our competitors out there. And, um, and, you know, I think that kind of uh, community feeling that cohesiveness is really important. We want to build that sort of fan element uh, around our brand uh, because yeah, every single one of our consumers or followers are really important. And so that's just a philosophy, philosophy that we have. Yeah. And throw in some great incentives for them too. It's kind of just like a win-win for everybody. Yeah. What are some of the ways you've been able to continue establishing Hero as a leader in your space and setting yourself apart from competitors? Uh, this category is getting very, very competitive. We're a category creator, and so people look at us and they see our success. So, of course, they want to basically copy us. Recently, we've had some bigger entrants, like Johnson & Johnson launched some patch products, and like Biore has a patch product. And so next year, you know, I think we have some plans to really reinforce our category leadership. Because, again, we are the number one acne patch brand number two acne care brand in all of acne care, which is really amazing. And so you're going to see a lot, you know, you're going to see us beef up our claims, beef up our position in this category as a leader. I want to maintain our market share, which is very, very high. And you have the best company name too, <laughs> when it comes to skincare. Yeah. I think you can't really be a hero. So Right. Yeah, totally. Two other things that I think are genius about your brand are the gender neutral packaging and brand aesthetic and that your consumer base mm -hmm. fits a market gap that previously wasn't being catered to. Can you mm -hmm. tell listeners more about your decisions around brand design and customer targeting and how those decisions have benefited your bottom line? You know, in the very beginning, we purposely made the brand sort of gender inclusive because the idea was to make it for anyone who breaks out. And it's not just, we don't want it to be like pink and girly girly because it's not just women that break out. I mean, other people break out. And, and so that was like a core philosophy of how I think we approached our design, which I think works really well because I think we're the only brand that really attracts a very wide consumer segment. You know, my co-founder, he's really, he's really passionate about sort of design systems and things like that. And so the design team, they're really amazing and they, 
they have amazing thinking in terms of, terms of how to create things that are scalable, uh, but really make sure visually we're communicating to the consumer about what our products do and, and, and like the difference between each product. We've used color really well. I think color is something that really stands out on shelf. Uh, we do design for a retail presence. So we want to make sure that it looks good when you're in a retail store. Not all, you know, some DTC brands, they don't translate so well, I think, at shelf. Uh, but we really make sure that we do that. It's use of key brand identifiers so people know that this product comes from Hero Cosmetics. Yeah, and I think the use of people of all ages in your marketing so that it's not just targeted toward teenagers with acne. Like I'm an adult, I use it. I know people even older than me that use it. It's really for anyone that breaks out and that really comes across in the messaging. Yeah, 100%. What's next for Hero Cosmetics? I know you've given us a little bit of insight, but are there any upcoming plans or launches that you're allowed to share with listeners? We just launched Chin. Uh, We have two launches coming in January, which people should keep their eyes peeled for. You're gonna be seeing us in more more places, both from a marketing and retail distribution standpoint. We're still gonna be making amazing products that always put our hero twist on them. Uh, We call it the magic moment. Yeah, it's just, I think it's just gonna be more of the same, but bigger in more places. And, you know, we're, we're gonna continue to really hold on to, I think, our leadership position. Awesome. Well, I can't wait to see those new launches. Finally, I like to close out each episode by asking our guests to provide a few words of wisdom. What is your biggest piece of advice for founders and entrepreneurs? Have a founders network or create one. Uh, That was really critical for me even now and earlier on. It's because I think being a founder can be a very lonely experience and you go through very specific things that only other founders can understand or empathize with. So, you know, I think early on, the more that you build those relationships, uh, the more it can really help your business just because, you know, you're sharing things like vendors or lawyer contacts or whatnot. But, you know, they're also the people who can understand like, oh, I just had to fire someone. It was terrible. And they understand that because they know what it's like. Or, oh, no, I'm really worried about cash because, you know, I only have $2,000 in my bank. And so sometimes those are experiences, again, that are very unique to founders. So I would really recommend building your founders network mm-hmm. early on. Great advice, Ju. And I'm going to put you in the hot seat really quick. If you were going on a trip and could only take three hero products with you, which would they be? I take Money Patch Original. That's actually, I mean, sorry, Invisible Plus. It's so nice. Um, I would choose our SPF. Our SPF is amazing. I use it every day. I love the texture. It's so light, uh, very effective. And my third skew... I would take our exfoliated, exfoliating jelly cleanser because like your skin feels so amazing after you use it. Um, I love the little like cognac, cognac jellies that we have in it. And, you know, it's really effective at cleansing. And I mean, that's also a very important step in preventing breakouts. Well, Ju, thank you so much for joining me again on the podcast. It was great to see you. Before I let you go, can you please let everyone know where they can keep up with you and Hero Cosmetics online and on social media and where they can find your products? Yeah, the, all the social handles are our names. So Hero Cosmetics on Twitter, um, LinkedIn, Instagram, TikTok, it's all the same. And then for me, 
Twitter, Instagram. I'm not on TikTok. I watch, I'm a viewer on TikTok, but I don't post on TikTok. But um, yeah, I also have a website, which is also just my name, juru.com. So you can find me there. Thank you so much to Ju for joining me on the podcast. And thank you to everyone listening. I hope you join us next week for a new episode of Office Chats.